Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into artificial intelligence, in particular, generative AI and its use in financial services. We're going to be looking at some of the pros, some of the cons and some of the uses that are happening so far out there. Of course, it's a relatively young field, but there's lots happening in the industry. And to do that, we're joined by the team at CMC Invest that are pushing forward the application of AI. We have with us very kindly Alistair Snedden, who's the head of product at CMC Invest, and Dave Dyke, who is the head of technology at CMC Invest. Dave and Alistair, very much welcoming you to the podcast this morning. Thanks for having me. Lovely to be here. Thanks. We're going to be looking at the, the realities of AI in, in financial advice, how it's being implemented at the moment, you know, what the potential pitfalls are, what the benefits are, uh, having a look at what the industry is doing in, in terms of managing those potential risks and, and where the benefits are. But before we get into it, Alistair and Dave, would you please both be able to give us an introduction to yourselves and your roles at CMC, please? Sure. Maybe start with you, Alistair. Yeah, do you want to go first, Al? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm Al, I'm the head of product for CMC Invest. So my background is in actually technology. I've stumbled my way into financial services around 10 years ago. And my big focus is all around helping customers get invested. So end retail individuals, Joe Blogs like you and me, helping them get access to financial markets, helping them understand how and when to invest. So that's pretty much been the last 10 years of my life is finding ways to make investing better for just everyone. Um, so that's really my focus here at CMC Invest as well, is helping drive our roadmap forward and what's the needs of the customers and what we can we do that's interesting, exciting, but genuinely solves a pain point for our customers. Thank you. Uh, yeah, my job basically as, as kind of technology lead is to really listen to what Alistair and his team uh, come up with and then try and implement it. Um, obviously, we, uh, the team that I work with, uh, have input on what it is we build as well. Um, but uh, yeah, the majority of our work is solving problems um, through, you know, what is currently and kind of traditionally just just coding. But now it's starting to get interesting with the advent of uh, AI into that space and and kind of giving us some tools. Uh, to be able to to improve our ways of working as well. So um, so yeah, it's it's very much taking all those things that Alice has just said and turning them into something that's real, uh, and also keeping it running as well. That's uh, that's half the battle. Fantastic, thank you. So I'm going to start with quite a broad question, and it's how much of a reality is financial advice powered by AI? You know, how, how far are we along that journey? And, and, and is it something that we will see at some point in the, in the future, if we're not already in, in some circumstances, where people are receiving financial advice purely powered by what, what is, in effect, a, a robot? Yeah, it's a really interesting one because it's, it, it's the old tidbit of we always underestimate what can be achieved in the short period of time. And we always overestimate what the future looks like when you go out five, 10 years. And seeing where we are in the financial advice space at the moment, where it's very much questionnaire-led, fact-find, it's you sit down with an advisor, they've got a sheet they go through, and then you have a, um, you know, a couple of teas and biscuits and you talk about some other stuff. And then they go off and sometimes just put you in a model portfolio based on a risk rating. So they say, this is the risk vol of my portfolios. This is what I'm going to put you in. And I guess the question is, is that going to be challenged by AI? Can that entire process be a conversation that doesn't need to be have with a human being, which 
in that instance, it's not a million miles away from the robo-advisors we have today, but we know they're very much a walled garden. It's a, a set questionnaire, it's set processes. There's no ever ambiguity about what's going to come out the other side. And I guess for me, that's the big stumbling block is no matter how close we get to advanced AI that can do something really unique or interesting, it's the unpredictability of the output. And is the output actually going to be the averages? Is the generic output that works for most people as opposed to something that's genuinely tailored? Is AI just trying to get the right answer as many times as possible? Or is it trying to get the right best possible answer in that individual circumstance? And I think that's the stumbling block that we need to, to get past somehow to really then start seeing this to be a, a consumer facing solution that you could give someone. But for now, it's definitely already been adopted in the operational and back-end processes of a few firms where there are advantages that we can already start receiving today. So I guess it it is a reality. It is here. But is it something a customer would be interfacing with that leads to an, a decision and output? I think that's when we start getting into that regulatory gray area of did a computer give you the advice? Can you blame a computer? And, and who's actually accountable and liable at the end of the day? Thank you very much. And, and what you've said there, Alistair, is, is quite good. So I think that's going to set us up quite nicely for this conversation going forward, that you've made a clear differentiation there between the input and the output. The input, which you, you made a comparison to somebody going along as a financial advisor, sitting down, having tea and biscuits, going through a fact find, taking up that information and then, and then putting it into a system which then provides a, a portfolio or a selection of investments, whatever it may be. We'll discuss that a little bit later on in, in the podcast and you know potential hurdles there and how that's that's working. But the, the, the first point on the output side of things, which I think is particularly interesting, I think a lot of people listening to this will be particularly interested in, in hearing about is you know, in terms of AI and what it's able to do in terms of the outputs of the financial services. So in terms of investment selection, for example, or, or, or stock selection, I mean, do we have any evidence so far that AI, AI tools, generative AI is able to actually go out there and select individual stocks, individual investments based on the inputs, whether that comes from AI or, or, or a person, and help somebody build a portfolio of, of, of investments. And I think there should be something here noted, if, if possible, if you're able to make some comparisons maybe to, to algo trading. Of course, you know, trading based on an algorithm isn't anything new. You know, that, that's been in markets for, for years now. And if we are able to see... AI create a portfolio and select stocks. What's the real difference between the algo trading that we've had for many years in the market? Yeah, uh, I think that's very interesting. The comparisons with algo trading. I'm a, I'm a big personal fan of algo trading. Something I've looked into in the past, and I find it very exciting. Almost a, a very purist view of the markets. It's a very reactionary read, understand. And this is the set outputs. So it's a very structured way to approach financial markets. And as we know, if you ever get asked, what should I do to become a better investor? What should I do to be a better trader? Whatever you're trying to achieve, almost always the answer is remove emotion from it. It's almost always a case of have a process, stick to your process. That's what you follow day in, day out. And that will make you better at achieving your end goals because it keeps you focused you don't get distracted and so you can get that uh, real lure to say well surely that's what ai is it's just pure data it's just pure no emotion attached to it this is the facts these are the inputs and this is the output we're going to give you which is very similar to algo trading now i think when we talk about ai it's an important differentiation between what actually is intelligence versus just trends, picking up data. What's the difference between analysis 
and being able to apply that extra layer. And I guess if we say, how do you select individual stocks, individual names or funds based on fundamental and technical analysis? The asset managers have been doing this for years. They already have algo set up. They already have their thousand line spreadsheets with VB scripts that never end that tells them exactly this is the top performer in this area based on this criteria. And they can use that to select and make their lives easier. But they still ultimately make those final decisions to go in and look at it with their own eyes and expertise to say, well, is that the right holistic answer that I'm looking for? But they used it in a screening capacity. So I guess for me, the, the real difference between algo trading and AI tools is one of them is very formulaic. There is a set input, there's set things you're looking for, you're looking for trends, margins, you're looking for those opportunities and you're analyzing the data set and then you're coming up with a recommendation or an output and you may decide to instantly act on that or not. And I feel like AI has the capability to be so much more. AI then starts getting into that territory of not just it's triggered all the bits you like, all the data points you're looking for, all the opportunities you want, but then applies that extra layer on top to be a bit more holistic and say, well, if I was a human looking at this, I would take into consideration other data points which may not have been readily available, that may not be directly tied to the asset or market you're looking at, but you know there is a wider emotional response that can come off the back of this. There is a, a very loose correlation that you may decide to input on that. And I think that's where there's a real distinction is it really is the intelligence aspect. It's not just taking a piece of data and saying, here's the output from it. We already have that kind of analysis and ability today. I think it's taking it to the next level where you would go to an expert and ask them and say, well, this is what the numbers tell me based on a technical chart. This is the best entry point I could have right now. And they would say to you, yes, but have you considered the wider market? Have you considered that there's coming up news where there might be funding coming in from third party sources that may have an impact? And that's where pure technical or even pure fundamental doesn't take that into consideration. That's why you always say to people, do your full due diligence. You need to be comfortable with this. And I think that's really the exciting bit is could an AI actually get involved in that due diligence section? And that takes it a step above the data process of just pure algo trading. But Dave, I guess this is something we were talking about the other day where we we're saying what really is the difference between AI and what we've already seen in the markets for the past 20, 30 years of people just building these algorithms and systems? Yeah, I mean, what you've almost explained there, Al, is the difference between machine learning and artificial intelligence mm -hmm. in that, obviously, machine learning is relatively new as well. Machine learning is fundamentally taking a bunch of observations, uh, uh, features uh, of things that have happened um, and computing a result, whatever that result is that you, you, you want. So, for instance, you could take in all of the pricing data, the weather, the in current interest rates, all of those kind of things and start to create um, an algorithm that would be not impossible, but much harder for a human to write. And then you end up with your machine learning algorithm. So you could give it, the, you know, the current interest rate and the current prices and the current weather or whatever it might be that you've put into your algorithm. And it would give you a kind of response that would be not necessarily binary, but very precise in its um, recommendation, when you put artificial intelligence on top of that, you're starting to make the interface with it a little bit more human. So the algorithm still exists, but you're able, almost able to interface with it in a way that is uh, more accessible for people because it's in you know a common language, which is whatever language you speak, I suppose. we I will use the English one because it's the only language I speak. But then it potentially allows me to interrogate some of those algorithms in a way that I would perhaps have used uh, a human being in the past. So what we may see come out of this is the ability to, we've got the ability to create these algorithms with enormous data sets, um, 
uh, and algorithms that would be very difficult for humans to create. Um, we then got the ability to use artificial intelligence to understand the person that's querying that. So they may have a particular focus on ESG. They may have a particular focus on a given industry. So artificial intelligence can ask them those questions. And then it can put those things together, or at least it might be able to put those things together to come up with a personalized idea of what it is that you might want to invest in. I, I would hazard a guess that the majority of people you know, if you if you look at ChatGPT, it's just a text box, right? So if you had an investment platform that was just a text box that you could you could ask it anything, the majority of people would say, "I want to invest in something that's going to make me money." Um, if we come up with that algorithm, I don't know what would happen, uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who knows what would happen after that? But the idea is that I guess the the problem that's being solved is exactly the same. You've got people with an, with various levels of understanding of the industry being able to, previously they'd probably ask a human, get financial advice, like you said, how to, to, to figure this out. It might be now that that's more accessible for people because they're able to ask, you know, an artificial intelligence, whatever we might call it, most of them get names these days, um, to, to answer those questions for them and give them something more personalized that uh, than you know their financial advisor might might have done in the past. So it'll be really interesting to see where it goes, um, kind of from this point forward. Thank you. So I'm just going to summarize that and, and do let me know if uh, if this is incorrect. So I want to make a clear differentiation here between algo trading and, and AI. Algo trading is, for example, a data point like the non-farm payrolls that comes out on the first Friday of every month. You see big swings. You know, typically, there are a lot of computers involved in that. If you see a big beat of the number, you may see people buying baskets of S&P 500 stocks, for example, that pushes that index or, or, or futures up. And that's a very simple algo, uh, algo trading example, whereas AI will take in other factors in the financial services and financial advice where it would say, OK, we've got this data point here. We've got a much better data point than, than expected. So it's probably going to be a good place to be in S&P 500 stocks going forward. However, the AI will then start to bring in things like, well, actually, in two weeks' time, we've got a release from the Federal Reserve. And then very shortly after that, we have CPI and looking at recent trends in pricing data or inflation data that, we, that we've had. You know, that could cause some swings in markets, which would make that initial algo trade look a little bit questionable. And then possibly from the AI side, bring in individual characteristics for the portfolio or the owner of the, the, the portfolio, indeed, that, that the client, uh, their risk tolerances and say, well, actually, no, this isn't a good trade or this isn't a good place for this particular individual. Is, is, is that about right? Yeah, that, that's very much the direction we're heading in. And I think the real key bit is not only would it do that process, you could uncover its understanding and how it came to that conclusion. If you think of classic machine learning and algos right now, when you get an output, it could have considered all of those factors and said, here you go, here's what you should do next. If you turn around and say, why? Well, there, there is no why. There is no interrogation of that output. And that's where the AI comes in that you could turn around and say, well, why do you think I should take that position? Why do you think this is a, a good opportunity for me? And that's where it can come back and say to you, well, I've looked at these factors. I've looked at your holdings. I've looked at your patterns. And that's why I came up with this conclusion. So it gives you that extra bit of clarity and the ability to drill down into how did you come up with that conclusion? rather than simply you get an output and you hope that the output has considered everything that might be on your mind. Thank you. So we're going to move on now and look at some of the existing players in the market at the moment and what AI means for them. And it, you, you did mention them a little bit earlier on the podcast, robo, so-called robo-advisors, if there is such a thing uh, anymore. They've been a bit of a decline in, in recent years. But this sort of notion of, of people signing up digitally and then outlining their, their risk profile and what they'd like to, to be invested in. And then, you know, very simple portfolios made of two or three, four, whatever it may be, 
um, ETFs in, in bonds and, and equities is then given to that client based on what they, they've said. You know, in terms of that model, which is which has seen some strong levels of, of growth and has been adopted by, by many companies, is that set to be turned on its head? Is there an existential, existential risk to those business models with the introduction of AI? I actually think there's a slightly different threat that AI would assist with, which is fundamentally robo-advisors right now are putting you into model portfolios with some limited tweaking and adjustments. So they say, like you say, here's your basket of four to six ETFs. This is what we think you should go in. And you've gone through all the same checks and balances as everyone else. And that is how their algorithm has bucketed you. So it could be the exact same process as someone filling it in and talking to you over the phone, but it's just an automated process, a checklist that you go through and it says, okay, there's one to seven portfolios available. We recommend between five and six for you for this objective and outcome. And that's a very light touch, easy, simple. It gets people out of cash and it gets them invested in a, in a fairly reliable way to say, there you go, this is your, your starting set. I think what we're actually gonna see with AI is we're gonna start hearing more about smart indexes. We're gonna start hearing more about people saying, actually, I want this model. I want this selection of ETFs, but here's my individual preferences. The same way you could go to a financial advisor and they could turn around and say, okay, here's what I'm going to do with your ISA. This is what, how I'm going to manage it. Here's how I'm going to invest it. And you turn around and say, well, that's all well and good. However, I'm a massive believer in financial services in the UK. So I want my portfolio to have a leaning or actually I've got a 10% holding over here that I'm not going to get rid of. You have to build your portfolio around that. And I think that's where AI can actually interface with smart indexes that you create your own model, essentially. So it can still be going through a risk rated profile, but then you can get those extra additive pieces that you really get with a, a human advisor where you can have that conversation. And when you're having your tea and biscuits, you, you let slip that actually you're massively into sailing and they turn around and say well would you want to invest in boat manufacturers you know do you want a five percent slice over here just because that's a little bit of who you are and what you believe in um so i think that's where ai can actually assist and enrich those processes but i don't think it would be exclusive to robo advisors i think that's something that all financial advisors can beef up their existing processes i, I think you're completely right is if you're just selecting a bunch of ETFs, is that something that can be automated? I guess that's the secret source of your, your chief investment officer and their team is what ETFs do we think best represent the market, the value, the purpose, but then really the blend of those products. I think that's where it'd be quite an interesting space. So I don't think you'd see a complete removal of these firms the same way asset managers wouldn't get rid of their analysts in favor of AI, but I certainly think their jobs can get easier and they can get a bit more imaginative and do some interesting stuff by leveraging some AI intelligence in that process. Thank you. So that, that's actually answered my, my next point about the difference between current portfolio construction and what AI could could do. So thank you very much for that, uh, Alistair. So I'm going to move on now to, to, uh, to the next question, which... You know, be interested to hear your your thoughts on this, and you know whether it's something that, that's you know even had much consideration paid to it. But we, we've discussed their ETFs and you know, a more discretionary service. But if we then look to you know, active uh, management, active approach to to investments and and funds, you know, given the state of AI at the moment, you know, the use of la large language models in in generative AI. Do you think that the current infrastructure that we have out there at the moment is in a place where it could be used for, for an active approach? And you know, could that active approach possibly outperform the market, given where we are at the moment? 
I guess it's always interesting about outperforming the market, isn't it? Are you a believer in the market is fundamentally flawed and there's opportunities or do you believe the market is always correct? Um, that That's the never ending debate we always have in the office about do, do you want to be dividends? Do you want to be growth? What is it you want to achieve with your portfolio? And it's so unique every time. But I think there is an opportunity for AI to help people with their portfolio construction. I don't think it's that far-fetched, but I don't think initial iterations would be a case of almost, as you said, a discretionary service where it's handing over and saying, right, here's 30%, go do what you want with it. I actually think it's going to be used in conjunction with people's own due diligence and beliefs where it will be serving insights. And this is something Dave, we've spoken about previously around actually giving useful insights, serving as almost a second opinion, going to another doctor and saying, well, I'm thinking of doing this. I've been recommended X, Y, and Z, but what do you think? What's your views on this to, to even make sure you've covered all the bases or to almost give you that affirmation of, yeah, you, you have considered all you need to consider with this. So I think it'd be to help on that insight generation component there. Yeah, I think, I, well, one thing is I definitely wouldn't use AI as my second doctor. That's definitely true. Um, one, one of the things it's, it, it's going to be capable of doing as well is, is not just looking forward, but also looking back. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a particularly active nor successful investor, um, uh, but if there was the ability for AI to take a look at some of the decisions that I'd made in my investments in the past, it could also start to understand whether, as you mentioned earlier, Alistair, whether um, emotionally, you know, I've made emotional decisions in the past where I shouldn't have done. And it can start to train me up um, to understand the different styles, where I could perhaps get better uh, and how to apply that in the future. So, you know, there's there's just a number of different ways that it can be used. It's just going to be really interesting to see which of those become successful, uh, which of those are in demand by the, you know, the customers out there that, that, that need it. And then which of those will just be ignored, you know, and people will just think that they know best and, and who will perform better. It'll be a really interesting space over the next few years, I think. Indeed, indeed, it will. So it sounds like AI can be used as a sounding board or, or a coach to some extent at the moment, as opposed to going out and actually building, actively building portfolios with, with the with the view of outperforming the market. So we're going to move on now, if we may, and, and talk a little bit about what you guys are doing at CMC. So we've spoke about some of the, the possibilities and you know, how the technology is moving and improving certain things. But it'd be good to hear specifically about what CMC are doing at the moment in AI. Sure. So from um, a technical perspective, we're definitely assessing how it can add to the feature set that we have in the app uh, and that the users um, will see and feel. Uh, so if you were to load it up now, you probably wouldn't see anything in there. Um, so that's kind of under assessment at the moment. Where we are using it is probably completely separate to anything that we've mentioned, which is the, it is checking, really it's checking to make sure that our system is stable and it's still running. And if there are any issues with it, um, we can detect those without having to, you know, constantly look at the graphs that we've got and the charts that we've got to make sure the system's up and running. Um, so that's really where we're using it in anger. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've got, there's lots of kind of ideas coming out from everybody in the team as to, to where we can use it, uh, given the kind of open API model, uh, open AI model, sorry, we can start to play around with it and see what it can do. Um, but there's an enormous responsibility here on, on our shoulders and the shoulders of other people that are kind of behind the scenes in these applications is that. We need to make sure that it is done for the, you know, the best possible reason and that it looks after our customers uh, and that we don't, you know, all of a sudden think we've come up with this amazing new AI tool that's going to help people, 
increase their wealth over time only for it to uh, to actually give people the wrong advice. So it's going to require a lot of testing. It's going to require a lot of research. Um, and it's really going to require a lot of interaction with our customers to understand what it is that, that really benefits them um, with any AI tools that we put in front of them. You know, it could be, as I mentioned earlier, it could just be, we have a part of the app that's just a text box that is ready to accept whatever question you have. Um, or it could be specific to looking at your current portfolio uh, and giving you some form of analysis. Um, or when you're searching for new investments to make, it could start asking you questions um, in a natural language. So there's all sorts of, uh, of things we could do with it. We've just got to try and identify which of those give the, the best value and responsible value to our customers. Thank you. So, I mean, that, that takes me nicely on to, to, to the next point. And, and it's really looking at the compliance side of things. We, we've discussed the, the output side of the financial services, looking at uh, portfolio selection. But it'd be good to, to hear a little bit more about uh, the, the input side to some extent, that the compliance element in terms of what companies can do or maybe are doing at the moment to, to use AI in, in, in the KYC and onboarding side of things when you're, when you're bringing a customer into the business uh, to look at the category that they should be placed in, look at the products that they're able to, to, to invest in. You know, is that something that AI is going to be able to, to be involved in or is it more of a machine learning side of things and you can't really have too much intelligence because there's set criteria. You know, it can't be overly creative. You know, a client is a client in terms of their their age, their risk appetite. There's not sort of too much you you, you can do there or, may, or maybe there is. I'd be interested to hear a little bit about about that. And also from, from a risk uh, perspective as well, you know, first of all, but from a, from a business like CMC, you know, are, are you able to put AI into your systems to help manage that risk? And then maybe from a client perspective, will they have AI tools possibly in the future or, or even already, uh, which are able them to help the, the, the risk of, of their portfolio? I think it's very interesting when we start talking about the compliance and back office side of things. Um, the way I see AI being deployed currently and continuing to progress is used as a first line of defense. So in the very same way that I'm considered first line of defense here, it's my job to make sure what we're putting out there is good, sound, monitor it, make sure we're happy with it. And then there's a second line that keeps an eye on me. I would envision the same thing when it comes to AI used in operational teams, where it's a case of it serves as a first line warning. So it may not change your KYC and onboarding. Like you say, that's a very set, predictable, here's your inputs, here's your outputs. And there may be some element of machine learning of we need to tweak some of these buffers. We need to change how we look at particular areas. But then the AI component would then be flagging and feeding back saying, we've seen a large increase in customers from a particular area with a particular profile. This seems like a repeating pattern. Is this normal? Do you want to know more? Ask me why I think this is interesting or what's happening here. So it can be used to flag up processes. It can be used to flag patterns, which if you're looking at this day to day and it's just your normal job to go through, it can be quite hard to spot emerging trends. And I think that's where using technology, we can really leverage these emerging trends as they're happening and flag them up to our teams to say, have you noticed this? Are you doing anything about this? Or is this just a false flag? So we have a lot of monitoring tools we use at the moment, and we deliberately set very wide remits for when it notifies us of what's going on and what trends it identifies because we want to know it's working and flagging we go and review it we have our process of how we approach it and then over time we can start to rein in those flags so then we get to a point where it's not always saying hey i need attention i've got something to talk about but actually it becomes something tangible where it's a case of if it's flagged this is something we should be looking at it might just be an anomaly a one-off or it could be a legitimate thing that would just slip through normal human eyes in the day-to-day -day checks. So I think that's going to be particularly powerful in terms of how we can use this for trend analysis and to help 
second and third line defense within organizations. And even from an operational um, standpoint, just talking about four eyes checks, just having a system there that says, well, I can, I guess the worst example I could come up with is almost it's uh, clippy in word back in um, the 2000s, where it's a case of, oh, I see you're trying to write a letter, let me help. You're trying to process a corporate action of this particular nature in this market. What are you trying to achieve? Can I help you with this? Here's the data I have, and then speeding up and removing human error. So I don't see it being a competitive nature of AI has replaced me. I see it in an assistive nature of actually my job's gotten a lot easier. I'm less error prone because I've got the comfort that I've got a four eyes check happening. And there's another system who's working with me to help guide me through this It's a smart interactive wizard rather than simply filling in forms, copying and pasting, and then just seeing if you make a mistake or not. So I think that's where we're going to see some real value coming through. And some of that is already happening today behind the scenes. Yeah, another crude example of that, I suppose, is uh, your self-driving car. You know, your car could technically drive you to the shops and back, but you have to keep your hands on the wheel. Uh, And it'll be a similar situation, at least to start with. Um, It's similar in other industries, healthcare industry being able to detect disease through scans you won't just rely on the ai to do that for you you'll use it to enhance the current techniques that you've got to make those detections um that's the short term at the very least uh the kind of financial pressures that might come from all sorts of industries to use something that's cheaper than humans might change that um but again it goes back to that responsibility uh, set up you know and the fact that ai really or machine learning really can only be coded on the past uh, and the past is history and it can't necessarily it can't it can predict the future but it can't be absolutely you know accurate that the future is going to happen so these things need to continue to be trained continue to have eyes on uh, and and the people that are in the position to be able to implement these things just need to uh, make sure that they they have one eye, eye on that as they start to implement these things wherever they are well i think that's really interesting when you say about predicting the future is having a, a conversation about this and this goes to your question around will customers ever be using these kind of solutions themselves given into their hands and i was saying to dave If you were to create an AI and said it needs to make as much money as possible and you do that in a walled garden, completely secluded, you just give it financial data, I said, wouldn't it accidentally do something illegal and basically tell everyone to buy exactly the same assets, knowing that it would inflate the price, it would cause a run on without really understanding why that's happening, but it would see that in the past history, it would see that in new data it receives, that by recommending the same thing to a lot of people, the price always goes up, which nowadays we know that that is effectively running a pump and dump scheme, which would be completely illegal. But would the AI be aware of that? Would it be incorrectly incentivized of just give me the returns I want? And it lacks that guardrails, that compliance oversight because it's just trying to achieve something in the most efficient way possible, not taking into account any other considerations. So I think that's where we're going to run into real challenges is how do you monitor what's coming out of this AI? How do you sense check it? How do you look for accidental abuse where the machine simply does not know? It does not know the the full aspect of every consideration that needs to be made. And I think that's going to be the the tricky bit when it comes to giving this to clients to have free reign over and interact with in any way they wish is having that controlled expectation of what should come out of it and how much the AI has that freedom. And then how do you monitor and keep an eye on that freedom? That's fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. So I've got, I've got a question here, which is a little bit off piste, but it goes back to the point you made about making your existing processes a little bit easier. And of course, one of the uh, potential 
risks, if, if you can call it that, of AI is there, there are fears out there that it will cause job losses. But it'd be good to, to hear about, you know, where, from where you're sitting, you know, is that something that you see happening or is it is it a change of, of job function? You know, if you look at the business that you're operating in and the people that are uh, conducting certain tasks at the moment and could they be replaced by by um, AI or do you see other people coming into the business? Is it a case that these people have to be retrained uh, within financial services to, to use AI? Uh, it's good to, to get some of your thoughts on that quickly. I think it's an interesting idea that people will be upskilled to use AI in their everyday roles. So within the product function, we get a lot of customer feedback, we get different ideas, we get suggestions, we get the push and pull of the market, and we can use AI in a walled garden sense of only our feedback to say, can you summarize this into the key points? So I've got seven A4 pages worth of feedback from various customers all around the same topic. Can you summarize the exact pain points they're describing here? And then we can take that away, validate, sense check in, use it as a hypothesis. That's a great example where we're learning and educating ourselves to make our lives easier, to actually spend more time doing the creative process of our jobs. So for us and certainly on my side of things, when we talk about AI, it's all around how can you spend the time on the real high value stuff, on the stuff that as a human, you really bring to this organization, your experience, your knowledge, your expertise and intuition. That's the stuff I want more of my team to spend their time doing, less of their time on what is essentially admin, joining together, data entry, processing, where you can do it in a smarter way if you've got a bit more intelligence and a quicker way and create those shortcuts. But fundamentally, it still takes time. And that's where I see people actually getting to spend less time on what might be the more laborious tasks that they have to do, freeing them up for the real value add stuff and actually giving people more time to innovate and think about what to do next rather than being bogged down in the BAU, the business as usual, of what we just need to do here and now. I don't know, Dave, from your side, how you see it. it yeah, it's very similar. It's, it's augmenting uh, people. So one of, the, one of the hardest parts about one, running an application isn't necessarily building it. It, it that's tough but looking after it and looking after it over a number of years there will be lines and files with code in that we won't look at or touch for you know potentially five six seven years because it runs and it keeps running but one day we'll have to come back and look at it uh, and the co and code is incredibly explicit you know, it does what it does. It's it's not necessarily binary, but it follows a set of rules and it either passes those rules or fails those rules. Human language is far more ambiguous. You have to turn that code into something a human can understand. And uh, quite a lot of time it takes, you know, it hours to process something that it, even you might have written. It may have been, you know, three months ago, three years ago. And you've got to get that back into your uh, kind of mental construct as to how that code works. AI can do that for us. It can help us explain how that code works if it's overly complex. We try not to make it complex, obviously, um, in order to turn it into something that's far more palatable uh, and speeds up the process of understanding. Um, similarly, we can do it the other way as well. So you can explain what you're after and it can help you code those things. But it again, converting a, an ambiguous set of, or could be, um, ambiguous set of instructions in a, a language like English into something far more explicit is um, it isn't necessarily something you could rely on AI doing perfectly you have to it might be able to get you started you know we can be writing code and we can get suggestions as to what to write next based on what it's learned from the past but it doesn't necessarily mean it's right every time uh, and we'd quite quickly find out that it wasn't if we just accepted what it gave us and, and pushed it out. Al would definitely not be happy with me if we started. Doing <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So I've got two points here to, to, to summarize and, and get your views on to finish things off. So in five years time, which functions, we've obviously discussed the inputs, the outputs and various different functions within 
financial services. But from where you're sitting in five years' time, which of these functions do you feel will be using AI the most? Which of these functions will have AI integrated into their everyday functionality the most? I'd have to say, actually, that I always lean towards the the operational back office, middle office side of things because they they are filled with a lot of manual processes and tasks, um, and that can be sped up. And then more quality control time can be spent on the processes and and making it slicker in more situations. However, I think where you're really going to see this, where there will be a genuine shift. I believe it's going to be in customer service and it's going to be first line support. So we, I can see a world where we would move away from FAQs of what is it you want to read. We move away from a world of picking up the phone and it's a switchboard. I think we'll end up in a situation where you pick up the phone and you say, I want to talk about my trading account and you get an answer saying, absolutely, lovely day, nice and sunny, hope you're enjoying the fishing, what's your account number? And you're actually interfacing with an AI. I think those are the processes where that can save a considerable amount of time, but also help customers where you get to talk in your own terms, in your own tone. I find this is one of the big problems people run into is if you want to ask a very specific question, but that's not how the FAQ was written or it's not how the answer shows up, the question, then you're kind of stuck. You just got to read everything and hope that the information you're after is actually there. Whereas I feel like an AI that's been trained on your service, your FAQs, all of your internal manuals, that could actually deliver something in terms that you would understand using a question that you wrote yourself. So rather than us hoping we've written a question generically enough that everyone would recognize what it is, you can simply come and say, what are the different types of stamp duty? That's probably not going to be a question you see in an FAQ. Whereas actually an AI model could turn around and say, well, we know that there's Irish stamp duty, there's English stamp duty, here are the different variations, these are their charges, and this is how they come into effect. I think that's where you're going to see a real load of value to make life better for customers and to actually help out support teams too. Thank you. Yeah, and I think I think from a, sorry, just to jump in there as well, on top of that, it, probably from an interface point of view as well, um, if you look at, chat gpt you know fundamentally it's a, at the beginning it's exactly the same as google it's a text box with a, in a screen with a button um you're doing the same thing you're asking it a question and it's coming up with an answer whereas when you're using google you would type in a question and then you'd have to go searching for the answer yourself so it's a similar it's similar situation coming up i i, I foresee in that you know if you look at uh, for instance my current portfolio the, the, the numbers in my portfolio exist on a server somewhere in the cloud, uh, and I want to understand what's there. So the interface I have for that is my phone is my communication mechanism, and the screen enables me to see it, and then I understand it. AI will likely have an impact on how that interfaces, whether I still use a screen on my phone or I have... Um, a set of AR goggles that I can just ask and it'll tell me I'm getting the information from one place, from A, the server, to B, my brain. Um, and I see AI helping us out with that, not just in investing, but uh, other areas as well. You know, you'll have that, potentially that single interface to, to all of the data in your life, um, which is slightly scary when I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to finish off here with it with the last question. Uh, I'd like to get answers from from both of you. So given what we've we've discussed today, now it's quite difficult to to frame this question uh, as whether it now or or in five years. So I think we let's let's just uh, ask the question of now. You know, if there was a tool of a, available, would you let? a generative AI tool manage your personal account, your, your own investments at this point in time, given what you know? Well, it would probably be more successful than I am. 
So uh, <laughs> I doubt I'd trust it with uh, with everything, to be honest with you. I'd give it a go, personally, um, where we are at the moment, and I'd see how it performs, and I'd, I'd make an assessment, but I'm relatively risk-averse in, a person anyway. So, yeah. Thank you. Oh, and you, Alex, yeah, I think I'm the other on the other side of the fence. Unfortunately, I'm a I'm all about risk, but I know I'm a very flawed investor who is far too egotistical. I don't think I could pull up with something else telling me what to invest in. I, I would like to be recommended, but I, I think I've got too much of an ego. I uh, the the guys in the office will know every opportunity I get when I'm having a good day, I'll turn around and, and tell them about my latest investment and they quickly remind me about my losses and I, I go and change the subject and make myself a tea. I, I think I've got too much of an ego to entrust my portfolio to something else, be it machine, another person. I think there's too much of me, my hobbies, my beliefs and too much uh, bragging rights and owning my defeat. Um, so I, I don't think I'd let it manage all of it. I'd probably, like Dave, have the small portion off just for the entertainment factor, but it certainly wouldn't be something I'd uh, entrust to everything. I like to uh, own the ups and the downs, unfortunately. Yes, yeah, that, that's fascinating. I think your answers there represent the feelings of, of lots of investors out there at the moment when it when it, can, when it comes to, to AI. Me, for one, fall into your camp, I think, Alistair, that... Uh, I like to make my own decisions, so I don't think I'll be using AI anytime soon. But as Dave said, it's always interesting to to, to get a second opinion to some extent, if that comes from a from a computer uh, or an AI chatbot. So be it. So, Dave and Alistair, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. And. I'm sure as AI progresses, we'll be organising another podcast in the future to see how things uh, are moving and the adoption within the industry. So look forward to that conversation. So once more, Damon, I thank you much for being on the podcast and thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.